Just a quick heads up before we jump into this episode, we will be discussing domestic violence and assault, and this may be triggering for some listeners. Zara, I am so excited to talk about today's sponsor. It's the new film, Challenges. It's from the director of Call Me By Your Name, Luca Guadagnino, and stars and is produced by none other than our girl Zendaya. Yeah, you know I love her. You love her too. I love her so much. Zendaya plays Tashi Duncan, a former tennis prodigy turned coach who is married to a Grand Slam champion, currently on a losing streak. And if that's not bad enough, Tashi's strategy to help her husband break his curse sort of takes a surprising and awkward turn. Hmm, awkward indeed. Because now he must face off against his former best friend and Tashi's ex-boyfriend, Patrick. Zara, the tensions are running high. I know. Tashi's someone who makes no apologies for her game on and off the court. It's her game, her rules, but with her past and present colliding, Tashi must face reality and ask herself, what will it cost to win? Challenges is the sexy drama that everyone's talking about, and it's definitely not one you want to miss. It's about passion, friendship, and what happens when your past comes back to challenge you. You can grab a ticket from Tuesday the 26th, so grab your friends and get excited. I will be grabbing you, and we are definitely going to be going to watch it. Oh, please. Thank you so much to Challenges for making this episode of Shameless possible. years old, she fell in love with musician Chris Brown. Their relationship and the police headshot of Rihanna that was leaked online changed her life forever. Welcome to this special three-part series from Shameless Podcast, The Incredible Ascension of Robin Rihanna Fenty. Part two, Mish. Part two. And guys, this is going to be a big one. In episode one, we introduced you to the woman we now know as Rihanna, a shy teenager from Barbados in the Caribbean who was discovered the year she turned 16, moved to the US and was signed by none other than Jay-Z. Yeah. And as we know, she quickly rose through the charts with songs like Ponde Replay and was really dogged by rumours that she actually had an affair with Jay-Z, who we know was dating Beyonce at the time. Now, it is a rumour that has since been revealed as false, Mm. right? A publicist since came out and said, I made that up to try and, you know, drum up some publicity, drum up some conversation about Rihanna. But it turned out to be an incredibly damaging rumour, both for Rihanna and for Jay-Z and for Beyonce. Regardless, she moved on from there and, you know, produced these follow-up hits like Unfaithful and Umbrella. Two of the best. They were just classics. Every time we mention the names of those songs, Unfaithful and Umbrella, I'm like, fuck, she really did a great job of like dominating the pop space for so long. absolutely. Now, in this episode, we are going to talk about Rihanna's relationship with Chris Brown and her on-again, off-again fling with Drake. Now, we did want to say before we probably jumped in that we naturally put a bunch of work into all of these series but we put a special amount of thought into this episode because we of course couldn't talk about Rihanna's life and career without talking about 
Chris Brown and the abuse he inflicted on her. Yeah, absolutely. And to be clear, domestic violence is a horrifying reality for many people and disproportionately women and non-binary people. But Zara, Chris Brown's relationship with Rihanna is a huge part of her story and it would feel strange and disrespectful if we didn't acknowledge what happened and unpack it. That would almost be like we were erasing what Chris Brown did. And in the last decade, so many people have tried to do that already. They have tried to erase what Chris Brown did and welcome him back. So we do want to unpack this. Yeah, as you say, particularly because Chris Brown, you know, is as much in the public eye as ever. I think Rihanna herself has also later spoken about how she knew her experience with intimate partner violence would influence how other young women saw and even recognised their own experiences with partner violence. So we do want to say that we have, as a business, donated to both Safe Steps and Jira as we were prepping for this one because, as our listeners know, we've done a lot of work with them in the past and they do a lot of important work in this space and we wanted to keep supporting them. Yeah, for sure. So let's rewind, guys. We're going to introduce you to Chris Brown. Alrighty, Mish, as you said, let us introduce Chris Brown. Chris had a pretty difficult upbringing, which he shared with the public from the very early days in his career. Well before he was dating Rihanna, Chris Brown told Tyra Banks that he witnessed his stepfather regularly beat and abuse his mother between the ages of 7 and 13. Yeah, around the time of that Tyra Banks interview, he also told Giant Magazine, he used to hit my mum. He made me terrified all the time, terrified like I had to pee on myself. I remember one night he made her nosebleed. I was crying and thinking, I'm just going to go crazy on him one day. I hate him to this day. He went on to tell the magazine that as the abuse escalated, he actually devised a plan with how to kill his stepfather, how to murder him. He decided he was going to do it when he was 15 years old, when Chris Brown believed he would be big enough and strong enough to carry out an attack like that. That never eventuated and partly Zara or mostly even because Chris actually got into music and had a distraction. Yeah, he started out performing in church choir and local talent shows. He was actually discovered at the age of 13 by a local production team called Hit Mission Records who actually visited his dad's gas station Mm. and spotted him there. Now, several years later in 2005, Chris, who was then aged 16, released his self-titled album Chris Brown It debuted at number two on the Billboard 200 and sold 154,000 copies in its first week. It's a huge achievement for a 16-year-old. MTV wrote about how girls were already pulling him off stage, chasing his car. And like Rihanna, as we said, these two were finding fame at an incredibly early age and finding a lot of success in the music industry at an incredibly early age. Yeah, such a rare experience as well to have that happen, to hit such a meteoric high so young. You're naturally going to be bonded together because of that. Now, Chris and Rihanna actually first met in 2005 when their careers were really in their infancy. They were photographed backstage at the Z100 Jingle Ball held at Madison Square Garden. Chris was 16, Rihanna was 17. Yeah, and from what we can tell at that point, they were merely colleagues in the same industry, maybe friends. Mm. 
But by 2007, Chris was continuing to rise in the industry. He followed up his debut album with another really successful album called Exclusive. And after Rihanna actually released Umbrella in 2007, Chris actually collaborated with her on a remix. I'd forgotten about this, but he, he had recorded, I guess, what you'd call like an answer song. It was called C- Cinderella. I don't know why that sounds so funny. <laughs> this was massive. Do you remember this in like the mid-noughties? That an artist would release a song and then often a male artist in like a similar kind of musical space would release an answer song. We don't get answer songs anymore. I feel like we never do. It's basically what, just replacing the lyrics and setting it to the same beat. Yeah, and sometimes like redoing the verses to be like a reply. It's, it's, it feels a bit naff, no? So weird. Fast forward to 2008 and rumours began swirling that Chris and Rihanna were more than friends. They were photographed together at the Grammys in February and looked really comfortable together. They didn't arrive together, but they were certainly like close together during the event, which raised some eyebrows. Soon after the Grammys, they were spotted flying off to Barbados for Rihanna's 20th birthday and on that trip looked very much in love. Yeah, I loved finding this article from Lainey Gossip from the time that spoke about this trip to Barbados and this is what Lainey wrote. Locals were truly moved by the event as Rihanna arrived on a yacht wearing yellow, greeted by the Prime Minister and 20,000 fans. I am told from those in attendance that Chris Brown was attached to her the entire time, escorted her off the boat and was asked up on stage for her cake cutting. (laughs) I love that she just goes home and the Prime Minister is there to greet her. I know, but they did deny to the press. Rihanna and Chris did deny that they were dating. Around this time, they actually emphasised that they were very much single at the Kids' Choice Awards that year, Rihanna even said that she and Chris were more like siblings than boyfriend and girlfriend. She told MTV, we're best friends, honestly, like brother and sister. Yeah, through this time, though, they were pout together looking pretty coupley. At one point, Chris actually admitted that they'd taken their relationship to the next level, saying in May, our relationship is growing. We started off as friends and now we're getting a little bit closer. By June, though... Confusingly, Rihanna very quickly denied that they were dating during an appearance on The View. She said, he is an amazing person, but we are not dating. We're very close friends, though. Very, very close. What do you think was going on here? I'm in two minds. Is this just two young people who are trying to figure their way through, like, commitment and a relationship and are on again, off again? Or is this a star in Rihanna who has been instructed by her label you want to be seen as single right now. It's not good for your career to have like a committed boyfriend. He might get excited and go off and kind of run his mouth about dating you, but you need to be cool and you need to deny. I mean, both arguments are incredibly compelling. (laughs) I I actually don't know. It probably could have been one or the other. There's definitely something going on though. But I think what was obvious was that they were together. So Chris and Rihanna were together and despite not really discussing it publicly, the whole world kind of knew. But by February 2009, a year after they were first connected romantically, things took a completely sobering turn. 2009 was the year that Rihanna turned 21, Chris turned 20, and it was the night before the Grammys. Yeah, so both Chris Brown and Rihanna were scheduled to perform at the Grammys. Rihanna was due to appear alongside Justin Timberlake at the awards, while Chris Brown was set to perform his song Forever. Now, as you said, Mish, the evening before the Grammys, reports came out that Rihanna and Chris Brown had abruptly cancelled their Grammys performances after allegedly being in a car accident. 
Yeah, and that's all we knew for a little while, that an alleged car accident had taken place. Brianna was actually violently attacked by Chris Brown while driving home from a pre-Grammys party. Yeah, according to the police report, they were driving home when Rihanna actually picked up Chris's mobile and saw like a three-page text message from a woman who Chris had had a relationship with. They started arguing and according to the police report, Chris assaulted Rihanna multiple times. Eventually, after a struggle, Rihanna managed to get out of the car and run for help. At 7 o'clock the following day, 7pm, Chris turned himself into police and was arrested. He was released on $50,000 bail. Very quickly, the media jumped on the story. As we said at the start, the first stories that came out said that they'd been in a car accident. And as Entertainment Tonight wrote at the time, details are sketchy, but Rihanna's publicist issued a statement late this afternoon saying that the Grammy-winning pop singer was well and thanked fans for their concern and support. After this, though, reports were quickly updated that night to say that Chris Brown had actually turned himself into the LA Police Department for questioning in his alleged role in a felony battery that took place in a car on Sunday morning. And then you can imagine people start putting two and two together. Yeah. Soon after that, TMZ reported that the alleged victim's name was Robin Fenty, Rihanna's legal name. Now, two weeks passed before we really heard much more about this Zara, but by the 22nd of February, TMZ published published a photo that authorities took of Rihanna the night she was attacked by Chris. The headline they ran on top of this image was the face of a battered woman. It had a big exclusive banner on top of the image as well. Yeah, I mean, I know in a lot of these scandals we rip on tabloids like TMZ, but this stuff for me is just like completely unforgivable, like will always be unforgivable because this sparked an absolute frenzy. And it also started, I guess, a more quiet but industry-wide investigation. Like how the hell did TMZ get their hands on such an incredibly sensitive photo and one that directly violates her privacy? Straight away, the LAPD released a statement saying the unauthorised release of a domestic violence photograph immediately generated an internal investigation. There were also reports that the sale price of the photo mesh at $62,000. Probably one of the most egregious things we've covered from TMZ. This is just the worst of the worst. So listeners might be thinking, who the hell would do such a thing? Like who in the police department would get this image of Rihanna at her most vulnerable and say, I'm going to make a quick buck or $62,000 reportedly out of it? Well, it turns out 39-year-old Rebecca Rays, a former award-winning officer, was found guilty of leaking this image. She was actually found guilty of multiple counts of misconduct at an administrative hearing and while she did escape criminal prosecution she was fired from the police force according to reports she was assigned to the team responsible for arresting chris brown on the evening he assaulted rihanna and did terrible things with the image yeah the morning after the incident rays had numerous phone conversations with another police officer by the name of bianca lopez with whom she'd actually previously been dating now During the time that the two were exchanging these calls, Bianca Lopez allegedly called several media outlets, including TMZ. The rest you guys know because the photo found itself in the media. Mm. In response to the TMZ story, Chris Brown released an apology through his spokesperson. It read... 
Words cannot begin to express how sorry and saddened I am over what transpired. I am seeking the counsel of my pastor, my mother and other loved ones and I am committed with God's help to emerging a better person. Now to make this story a little bit complicated and we do really want to be sensitive about this, according to reports at the time, Rihanna and Chris did not break up. On February 27, People magazine actually reported that Rihanna and Chris had reunited and were spending time in secret at Sean Combs or Diddy's house. Yeah, when Chris Brown made his first appearance in court in March, Rihanna's lawyer also reportedly asked the judge not to prohibit him from having contact with her while he faced the domestic violence charges. Once this news was published, Upset Fans began an online petition called Don't Do It Rihanna, calling for the singer to end the relationship for good. According to The Guardian, the petition quickly racked up thousands of signatures. Yeah, and just a few weeks after that petition, Oprah, of all people, actually dedicated an entire episode of her show to what she called dating violence. And it was aimed at, and again I quote, all the Rihannas of the world and to any young men who could ever think about hurting a woman. Oprah had Tyra Banks come on the show and share conversations that she had had with Rihanna and Chris in the past. As if she was like a relationship yeah. expert on Chris and like the expert on Chris Brown and Rihanna. Tyra Banks. Now, Tyra shared an earlier interview she'd done with Chris before the incident in which he had said that the visual abuse he'd seen at home growing up had impacted his relationships with women. A review of the show from Entertainment Weekly said, Tyra Banks did make a valuable point when one teen expressed disappointment that Rihanna apparently hasn't abandoned Brown and therefore wasn't a role model. Banks reminded the audience that Rihanna is, and I quote, a girl, an entertainer, not a role model, and shouldn't have to bear this added pressure. So, Zara, I think a lot of people might be thinking, well, why did Rihanna go back? Why do women go back to the men who hurt them? And we did want to speak to an expert in this space because we want to do this topic justice. Yeah, so researcher Justine actually gave Dr. Mary Iliadis a call. Now, Dr. Mary Iliadis is a co-convener of the Deacon Research into Violence Against Women Hub, and she said, look, there are many reasons why women get back with men that abuse them. Among those reasons is this. For many victim survivors, there is often this perception that they can help fix the perpetrator's violent tactics and ways. And for many people, they cling on to what they love about that person because there are always going to be particular reasons as to why we are drawn to some people. But that often comes at the risk of compromising our physical, emotional or psychological safety. And that does not necessarily make it a right or wrong thing. It is just to demonstrate to you some of the complexities associated with why women, why victim survivors might choose not to leave violent relationships or why some become entrapped by the abuser to stay in that relationship as well. Yeah. So in July 2009, Chris Brown issued a personal public apology for the assault. So we had that one through his spokesperson, but by July, he released a two minute video on his website to say he was, and I quote, truly, truly sorry. And that what he did was unacceptable. Here's a snippet of that apology video. I felt it was time that you heard directly from me that I am sorry. I have tried to live my life in a way which can make those around me proud of me. And until recently, I think I was doing a pretty good job. I wish I had the chance to live those few moments again. But unfortunately, I can't. I cannot go into what happened. And most importantly, I'm not going to sit here and make any excuses. I take great pride in me being able to exercise self-control. And what I did was inexcusable. I am very sad and very ashamed of what I've done. 
I've let a lot of people down. And I realize that. And no one is more disappointed in me than I am. I've sought and I'm continuing to seek help to ensure that what occurred in February can never happen again. And as I sit here today, I can tell you that I will do everything in my power to make sure that it never happens again. And I promise that. Yeah, as you can imagine, that was pretty widely watched by a lot of people. But Dr. Harriet Gray, then a PhD student at the London School of Economics, wrote that Chris shifted blame away from himself. Now, we both read this piece from Dr. Harriet Gray and I found it so enlightening just for all our conversations about partner violence and domestic violence. Chris Brown in that apology said, I will do everything in my power to make sure that it never happens again. And Harriet wrote that that line, and I quote, serves to erase the fact that the decision to use violence was always in power, that domestic violence is not, as commonly assumed, about a loss of control, but about taking control within a relationship. She points out that a lot of perpetrators of violence don't usually view themselves as deviant or wrong. I find that really important, right? And it seems like such an obvious point, but you hear this line bandied around all the time, I will do everything in my power to make sure it never happens again. But it's like, you always had that power. Yeah. It's acting as if you sometimes have no control. Like there are some instances where you simply don't have power anymore to make sure you're not violent. As if the violence sits next to you as a living, breathing thing that is not within you that you completely control. So that stuff from Harriet really made you and I look at each other and go, Fuck, that is so true. Like so many people go, oh, I'll do everything in my power to make sure it doesn't happen again. No, no, no. You have complete power over whether or not that happens again. And if it does happen again, it's entirely on you. Yeah, exactly. Now, in August that year, Chris Brown was sentenced to five years probation and to spend more than 1,400 hours in, and I quote, labour-oriented service. He was also given a restraining order from the court, meaning he wasn't allowed to contact Rihanna in any circumstances and wasn't allowed within 50 yards of her. A report from Chris's probation officer also found that Chris had been involved in two unreported incidents of domestic violence prior to his February assault of Rihanna. Now, while it's not 100% clear what went on between Rihanna and Chris Brown in the intervening months of 2009, we know for sure that they were definitely broken up by November. Now, just as a bit of a timeline check, if you're kind of lost a bit here, the Grammys and the pre-Grammy assault happened in February, definitely broken up by November. And in November 2009, she spoke for the first time about it all in an exclusive interview that aired on Good Morning America and 2020. Yeah, this interview is really interesting if you guys haven't seen it. In it, Rihanna talked about how, and I quote, I didn't cause this. This happened to me and it could happen to anybody. There are a lot of women who have experienced what I did, but not in the public. So it just made it really difficult. I just felt like, oh God, here goes my little bit of privacy just exposed. It's something that nobody wants anybody to know. So here I am with the whole world knowing. Rihanna ultimately said she realized that she couldn't stay with Chris in part because she knew it would send the wrong message to other women who were in abusive relationships themselves. Here's a snippet of that. When I realized that my selfish decision for love could result into some young girl getting killed, I could not, I could not be easy with that part. I couldn't be held responsible for telling them, go back, Chris. Even if Chris never hit me again, who's to say that their boyfriend won't? Who's to say that they won't kill these girls? And these are 
these are young girls. And I could not, I just didn't realize how much of an impact I had on these girls' lives until that happened. It is such a hard quote to stomach that someone who's been through such extenuating circumstances already, such extreme trauma, then has to consider the impact you have over women all over the world and that you have to make decisions with that in mind. Like it's your 20. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's too much to consider. Like it's insane to think about. Now, despite everything that was going on in her personal life, Rihanna continued to work on her music and her career that year and was killing it as always. In 2009, she started working on her fourth studio album, Rated R, which she released at the end of the year. Yeah, and once again, she was transforming her sound. We talked in the last episode about how after a couple of years in the industry, she really lent into an edgier, darker look and sound. Now, Rated R was a step further in that direction for sure. Yeah, wasn't it ever? And Rolling Stone even said that with Rated R, Rihanna had once again made one of the best pop records of the year. Now, in November 2009, after months of speculation that maybe there was something going on between her and fellow musician Drake, Rihanna went on radio and shut down rumours that they were in a relationship. She said that she and Drake were still friends but not dating. Yeah, then Drake did an interview with the New York Times in 2010 when he confirmed that he actually did have a fling with Rihanna sometime in 2009 and that he had felt used by her. He told the newspaper, I was a pawn. You know what she was doing to me? She was doing exactly what I've done to so many women throughout my life, which is show them quality time, then disappear. I was like, wow, this feels terrible. Kind of proud of Rihanna that she did that to Drake, like Uno reverse card. Yeah, and this will not be the first time that Drake talks about this relationship (laughs) like this. He did do a follow-up interview with MTV explaining his New York Times comments saying he was worried he'd come across as negative. (laughs) He said, I am at one of the greatest places in my life. I am on top of the world. I am extremely confident. So it's very rare that anybody, let alone a woman that I like, makes me feel nervous or makes me feel small. Drake also added that Rihanna is, and I quote, an overwhelming and incredible person and such a talented person and someone that I was like, I can't believe I'm here talking to this individual, that she just gave me the feeling like I was 17 years old trying to take Nikki Ramos, this girl from Toronto, (laughs) out on a date and she never wanted to go with me. She would never go. She would have a million excuses why she couldn't talk to me. That's how Rihanna made me feel. She made me feel small. She made me feel nervous. It just put me back in Toronto feeling like Aubrey Graham, not Drake. (laughs) Drake's quotes to the media never cease to like entertain me. Yeah. You never know fully where they're going. It's always a bit of woe is me about Drake, Oh, big chip on his shoulder. Yeah. <laughs> he also later admitted that one of his songs, Firework, was about Rihanna and her rejection of him, which people had speculated for a little while. Drake said that, and I quote, at the time it hurt, but she didn't mean to. I'll never put that on her. I was hurt because I started to slowly realise what it was. I guess I thought it was more. That was the first girl with any fame that paid me any mind. <laughs> like, Drake. stop talking. Uh, also, that was the first girl with any fame. It's like, she is more than her fame, by the way. He, there's a subtle layer. Maybe I'm reading too much into this. Maybe this is my feminist brain taking over too much. A subtle layer of Drake's quotes that read a little misogynistically to me. Like, 
It's very rare that anyone, let alone a woman that I like, makes me feel nervous. Oh, it yeah. reads as like, it's so rare that a woman gets to me. I don't even know if it's like misogyny or just arrogance, like general yeah. arrogance to be like, I'm so hotshot famous that like that shouldn't happen. Now we are going to hear more about the relationship between Rihanna and Drake Mish right after the break. Now, in 2010, Rihanna did admit that, yes, something romantic had happened between them. She told MTV, It was at a really fragile time in my life. I just didn't want to get too serious with anything or anyone at that time. Reading between the lines, we believe it was some time after she broke up with Chris Brown in 2009. Yeah. But given there was so much going on for her, it's natural that she wouldn't talk about this at the time. Absolutely. Yeah. By the end of 2010, she put out her fifth album, so still pumping them out. Mm. It was called Loud, which had some of her most memorable hits like Only Girl in the World and What's <sighs> My Name. Now, What's My Name was actually a song she released alongside Drake. They also released a music video where they were acting quite couply. Mm. If they weren't dating when this music video and this song were released, it was at least a nod to them being on very good terms again. The following year, there definitely seemed to be something going on between Rihanna and Drake again. At the start of 2011, they performed together at the Grammys and they were kind of dancing up on each other, like gyrating on each other <laughs> while Rihanna was singing, not everybody knows how to work my body, knows how to make me want it, but boy, you stay up on it. In 2012, Rihanna then collaborated on a song with Drake called Take Care and once again starred in another steamy music video with him. But two months later, things went pretty wrong for Drake after reports came out that he and Chris Brown got into a huge brawl in a New York club. I completely forgot about this until Same. we researched it. So this brings us to June 14, 2012. Chris Brown had actually done an interview earlier that day with MTV in which he had referenced Drake in a pretty positive way. He was talking about the rap industry and said, you don't have to be the hardest of the hardest rapper or the toughest of the toughest guys to make a statement. So with just Justin and me, and you've got Drake and other people that rap that aren't the DMXs of the world, it's a different day. So seemed to be on pretty good terms with Drake to give a semi-positive quote about him to the media. Now, context as well, when these quotes were given and on June 14, 2012, Chris Brown had entered another relationship with a model and actress called Karush Tran. Yeah, that night MTV reported that Drake had just finished the New Jersey leg of his tour and headed to the Sin City Gentlemen's Club in the Bronx. He and his crew were drinking to celebrate the tour and also the upcoming release of his next album. So Chris Brown's at this club, Drake's at this club and suddenly a fight breaks out. Naturally, with any story like this, oh, yes. there are conflicting stories about how the fight began. Some witnesses claim that Chris Brown sent Drake a bottle of champagne to his table as a peace offering. But then, they alleged, Drake sent the bottle back with the note, I am fucking the love of your life. Deal with it. Yikes. We then have witness quotes that someone, not quite clear who, someone threw a bottle across the room. A source told the Daily Mail that Drake was the one who threw a glass and then champagne across the floor of the nightclub. Another conflicting report said that Drake snubbed the bottle of champagne. It was Chris who flew into a rage and confronted him and threw the bottle. Yeah, a source also told the New York Post that they were on opposite sides of the room. This is what the source said. 
Drake went over to the middle of the club to talk to someone. Then words were exchanged with Chris and his entourage. And then someone from Drake's entourage, or possibly Drake himself, threw a bottle. So like we said, really hard to know what the hell happened here. All we know is that the fight happened. The fight happened. Now, Chris Brown's attorney stepped in and told the Daily News that his client was not responsible for starting the fight, saying, and I quote, he turned over evidence that clearly demonstrates it is Drake who instigated all of this. Drake's rep also issued a statement insisting Drake was not even involved in the brawl at all and that the fight was between Chris Brown and another rapper who had been hanging out with Drake that night. That rapper's name is Meek Mill. Now, Drake's rep said that he was leaving the nightclub when the brawl broke out. Very, very different tales. Yeah, incredibly so. And what we do know about this is that people were hurt. Like witnesses said that suddenly glass was being thrown around. Chris Brown ended up posting a photo of his face and a big cut on his chin to social media. A number of other people who were at the club were also injured. The Daily Mail published photos of people who received a number of face and head wounds. Like really gruesome photos, Michelle, of people with their faces covered in blood and cuts. Yeah, and if you want to know the extent of this, French basketballer Tony Parker was at that club that night and got injured and sued the club for $20 million after being hit in the eye with glass. So he did settle that for an undisclosed amount. His injuries meant that he couldn't perform at the Olympics that year. Yeah. Owners of the nightclub and the adjoining venue even brought a lawsuit against Drake and Chris Brown, claiming the fight caused the place next door to lose a licensing deal worth $4 million and caused both venues to temporarily lose their liquor license. Now, the lawsuit ended up being dismissed after the judge decided the rappers had no duty to the club to behave. Wow. I mean, I feel like you do have a duty to the club to behave, but that's – I'm not the judge, so yeah, I, I don't mean, make the laws. <laughs> I don't want to pretend that we are, but my ruling would be you have a duty to not throw champagne bottles and glasses around a room and have it end up in people's eyes. I agree with that. So not long after the nightclub brawl, a powerful interview between Rihanna and Oprah came out. It was August 2012, and Rihanna told Oprah and the world that she had forgiven Chris Brown after being angry for a long time. Yeah, this is what she told Oprah and just a note before you listen to this little snippet they are sitting by the ocean so that's what you'll hear in the background I was hurt the most nobody felt what I felt like so it was you hurt the most because it happened it happened it happened to me Mm -hmm. and it happened to me in front of the world it it was embarrassing it was humiliating it was hurtful you know it's not easy I lost my best friend. Like, everything I knew switched, switched in a night. And I couldn't control that. So I had to deal with that. And that's not not easy for me to understand or interpret. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And it's not easy to interpret on camera, Mm -hmm. not with the world watching. So it was hard for me to even pay attention to my mind and, and figuring things out because now it became a circus and I felt protective. Like, I felt like the only person they hate right now is him. 
Rihanna also talked about, and I quote, the weird, confusing space of on one hand being hurt by someone and on the other hand still loving them and wanting the best for them. She said, as angry as I was, as angry and as hurt and betrayed, I just felt like he made that mistake because he needed help. And like, who's going to help him? Who's going to say he needs help? Everybody's going to say he's a monster without looking at the source. And I was more concerned about him. Rihanna also talked about how she still loved Chris and that he was the love of her life. She said, we built a trust again and that's it. We love each other and we probably always will. At this point, she was kind of struggling to get her words out while crying and she said, we have been working on our friendship again and now we're very close friends. Mm. She kept going and that's not anything we're going to try and change. It's awkward because I still love him. My stomach drops and I have to maintain this poker face and not let it get to the outer part of me. I have to maintain it and suppress it. When you don't understand those feelings, you can make a lot of mistakes. My heart breaks for her watching this. Oh, yeah, for sure. It feels like to me, and I know you as we watched this back, that maybe this was Rihanna trying to take power over the narrative and making sure people knew she was close with Chris Brown again before other people said it for her? Probably looking back at this time the interview was done, I think they were probably romantically involved. But I think from a PR perspective, this was Rihanna telling the world, he's a very close friend of mine, he's in my life and I've forgiven him. So... It was around this time that things seemed to go sour between Rihanna and Drake. The first clear sign that something went wrong was the VMAs that September. Drake won the award for Best Hip Hop Video and everyone naturally erupted into applause, except for Rihanna. She, like, remained blank and instead whispered something to her friend that many people speculated was an insult to him. I mean, we have no idea what was said. But <laughs> she didn't look stoked that no, he had won. No, she didn't. Yeah, so then in October 2012, TMZ reported that Rihanna and Chris were seen leaving the same hotel before spending the night together at a Jay-Z concert. Around the same time, Chris Brown's girlfriend, the one we mentioned earlier, Karush Tran, tweeted some things that indicated maybe she and Chris had broken up. She wrote, take off by baby on her Twitter account, which apparently was alluding to the fact that she was flying out of New York and leaving Chris Brown behind. Yeah, and the rumours sort of were true. Chris released a statement shortly after saying he'd broken up with his girlfriend too, and I quote, be single and focus on my career, adding he loves his girlfriend very much but didn't want to, and I quote again, see her hurt over my friendship with Rihanna. I'd rather be single, allowing us both to be happy in our lives. Mm, Soon after, a video came out showing Chris Brown and Rihanna looking cosy together at a party. They then collabed on her upcoming album, unapologetic and Rihanna began putting up some cryptic posts that seemed to confirm that yes they were back together. In November 2012 unapologetic hit number one on the Billboard 200 albums chart becoming Rihanna's first number one album in the US. The lead single Diamonds also hit number one on the US Billboard 100 and other charts worldwide. Shine bright like a diamond has to be one of the most like Iconic lyrics. Oh, obsessed with the – I was going to say I'm obsessed with the fact that you tried to call it shine bright like a diamond as if you thought that was what it was called. It is is a good line though. That line though I feel like really infiltrated the pop space but also meme culture at the time. Did it? Yeah, for sure. I remember there were a whole bunch of memes about shine bright like a diamond. I'll just take your word for it. Now – Many people in the media once again came for Rihanna for getting back together with Chris at the 2013 Grammys, so four years after his abuse. They were seen snuggled together. Now, as we said, the media coverage at this time was pretty hard to stomach, Hamish. Yeah, 
in a Huffington Post article, a so-called relationship expert to the stars called Dr. Gilda Carl said she hoped that Chris had, and I quote, learned in therapy how to control his temper and that she's learned not to push his buttons. So many issues with that quote. Yeah, for sure. Now, as Annette Houlihan pointed out in a journal article she wrote in Australian Feminist Studies, so many people fixated on Rihanna's involvement in her own abuse. Mm. And people did fixate on seeing her getting back together with him as the problem rather than Chris himself. This is what she wrote. Since the assault, Rihanna's identity has been continually written and represented as both inherently victimised and somehow responsible for provoking Brown's violence. Mm. Now, she also pointed out the inconsistency in how we treat white women returning to relationships where there's been partner violence. She used the example, Mish, of Pamela Anderson, who rekindled her relationship with musician Tommy Lee after he was arrested for spousal abuse in 1998. She wrote, Anderson's decisions about her involvements with Lee do not seem to have garnered the same level of negative attention as Rihanna. Yeah, Annette Houlihan wrote that because of Rihanna's gender, race, ethnicity and nationality, she was deemed risque and the public saw her as more at fault somehow than they would a white woman. And that's really important for us to note. Yeah, Chris Brown and Rihanna at this point were clearly back together. But the feud between Chris and Drake just didn't stop. And we can't look past an interview that Drake did in April 2013 on the Keep It Thorough podcast where he was asked about Chris Brown. He said, don't ask me shit about that man when I came up there and leave that man alone. Stop preying on his insecurities, man. His insecurities are the fact that I make better music than him, that I'm more poppin' than him, and at one point in my life, the woman that he loves fell into my lap. Yeah, he said, I did what a real man would do and treated her with respect. Not long after that interview aired, Rihanna and Chris Brown broke up for the final time. In May 2013, Chris Brown confirmed their split in an interview on none other than the Kyle and Jackie O radio show. He said that Rihanna's demanding tour schedule and his own career and life had gotten in the way of their relationship. Thankfully, everyone, this is where we leave Chris Brown in this series. After his relationship with Rihanna, he went on to have a long history of violence and crime. In 2013, he allegedly punched and threatened to shoot musician Frank Ocean. In July that year, his driver's license was revoked after an alleged hit and run incident. In October, he was arrested for felony assault after refusing to take a photo with a fan. Later that month, he was admitted to rehab with the understanding that if he didn't complete his court-mandated stint, he would be sent to prison. And exactly that eventuated. He was sent to spend time at the Northern Neck Regional Jail in March 2014. It was around that time that Chris was formally diagnosed with bipolar disorder and post-traumatic stress disorder from his childhood. In 2016, his tour manager, Nancy Ghosh, quit after she says he threatened her in the workplace. In 2019, He was arrested with two others over an alleged aggravated rape in Paris, although no official charges were laid. Despite all of that, his career is still, partially at least, intact today. Yeah, in 2017, he released a documentary called Chris Brown, Welcome to My Life. He's released seven more albums since the attack on Rihanna and has collaborated with plenty of industry heavyweights including none other than Drake himself. Their song together, No Guidance, came out in 2019. So how the hell did Drake get to that point where he was collaborating with Chris Brown? 
Well, we will cover Drake's fallout with Rihanna and, of course, more of Rihanna's triumphant success in the industry in our next episode. I cannot wait to do that. I cannot wait to talk about how Rihanna became the richest female musician in the world next episode. I want to talk about the ascension of Fenty Beauty and all of her incredible business endeavours because she is remarkable. So we will see you then for episode three. Yeah, we will be back then. In the meantime, guys, we are on Instagram at Shameless Podcast and TikTok at Shameless underscore podcast. Yeah, absolutely. Come and follow us along. And thank you as always to our researcher, Justine Landis-Hanley. You did such good work on this episode and it was thoroughly interesting and compelling researching it with you. Yeah, thank Thanks so much, guys. See you on Thursday. Bye. Shameless Media. This podcast was recorded on Wurundjeri land. Always was, always will be Aboriginal land.